Are you ready? Yeah. yeah what yeah. are you doing? Get off your fucking phone. See if you've got anyone to text. This is when I hit send and you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my phone. You. Yeah. <laughs> Please be my friend. I'm so lonely. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Too Much Time On Our Hands, the theatrical cut. I'm Sonia and sat opposite me with his face for radio is Terry. Hi Sonia. Hello dear, you alright? I'm fine, thank you. We're having a lovely time. Um, right, this week we're going to be talking about um, Dame yeah. Emma Thompson. Um, topical accidentally, isn't it? Because it's only this week she actually received it. Yeah, it is topical. Um this is a subject that was put in the hat or requested to be put in the hat by um, Lucy and we're very happy to say Lucy's going to be joining us for episode two um, but for now you've just got uh, me and Terry um, yeah we're going to start with our weekly roundup our two weekly roundup Terry's seen um, approximately 98 films since we last saw each other and I've seen two um, that aren't related to the subject so Terry's going to uh, bore you rigid for the next 45 minutes to an hour and I'm going to pipe up once um we're going to do our weekly roundup. We're going to talk about a few Emma Thompson films, um, and, and that's it, really. Um, Terry, do you want to do you want to start with uh, a couple of your films that you've seen? Yeah, I'll I'll crack on. So we'll ignore that one because we saw that together. So we'll cover that later. So good first start. We <laughs> ignore everything. I've got nothing to say. Uh, so the first purge. So the prequel to the purge series, number four in the series, which I didn't realise, set before the purge was a thing so it's set around the initiation of the purge so it, we see the new founding fathers in a sort of montage getting into power and this purge is essentially a trial purge where they're just doing it on staten island so that it can be controlled <coughs> they let people get off the island if they didn't want to be involved everyone's wearing contact lenses that record everything they're doing and they're basically incentivizing it so the more people you kill or the more interesting shit you do the more money you'll get because they want it to be a success to roll it out. Mm. Um, and we, like the other ones, we follow a couple of people on this first purge. So you've got the person that is a really nice guy, but they've got a vendetta against someone, so they want to go after it. You've got the crazy psychopath killer who just wants to get famous. Um, I mean, that's all you can really say without getting to spoilers in the plot side of things, but it's kind of cool. One of them's a gangster, and he's he wants to just lay low, but someone comes for him, so he's got to go after the person that came for him. I think it's probably the better of the Purge movies because I feel like the other ones, have, it's a great premise, but they've never really followed the premise through properly. I like the very first film. Is that I, the one with what's-his-face in Ethan, it? Ethan, yeah. Yeah, I like that one. It was good, but it was like all of the Purge films have been like, the Purge is bad, which obviously it is. It's a fucking horrible idea, but... Is it? Well, it depends. If it was in a cinema when they were talking, it'd be fucking lovely. Um, but Go this, on, who, who would you... In a in a purge situation, have you got someone? You don't please don't say who it would be, but you can give me the nod. There must be someone who you, who you'd like to off. I don't know if I want to off them. I want to hurt people quite a lot. I feel like I get more out of making them suffer and knowing that they're going to have to live on. That's good to know. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, but I'm really sorry to say I I quite like the purge, from despite the fact I've just been quite disparaging about it. But um, yeah it just explores it and there's a bit more fun to be people enjoying purging whereas in the other ones I feel like they focus more on the horrible elements of it um, but if you like the purge films it's not exactly scary and I don't think it's exactly gory but mm. but decent 
Uh, so then I rewatched Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom because that came out on Blu-ray. Um, did you get a steel book? I didn't know because it was a 4K. Oh. And I don't know. If, the only 4K I'm interested in is the new Halloween one just because mm. I love that film so much. Um, so yeah, really enjoyed oh, it. I did go and see that. I just realised. Oh, so got, you got another one to talk about. Yeah. Just not popped it on your letterbox. No, I didn't. Shall I just shall I just talk about it now? As, yeah, I've, as, as I've mentioned, mentioned it. Well, I don't really need to sort of give anyone the summary. It was more just to tell you really that I did actually go and um, go and watch it eventually. Mm. I really liked it. I think I did put it on my letterbox. Maybe I missed it. No, I think I did. It. No, yeah, because you gave it five, didn't you? Um. Because you actually gave it more than I gave it. Let's have a look. Oh, this makes excellent podcasting looking through an app whilst I look through my app yeah oh yeah I have put it on there um yeah I gave it five um because I liked um <clears throat> I really liked it um <laughs> <laughs> informative yeah uh, well we don't really need to talk about what the Halloween film's about because you've you know you've done that um already and I think people must have been possibly living with a bag over their head if they don't know but I liked the um the fact it had three female leads yeah and for me that I, I just i liked the feel of it and i liked the relationship between those three yeah. women um yeah i really really liked it no, really, it really really liked good. it so and i like how organically they bring michael into <clears throat> that mix as well yeah um okay give, give us another couple of yours then uh yeah so jurassic world spoke about it before really enjoyed it thought it lived up well so i watched the original fog obviously previous pod we talked about we were meant to go to the cinema but i bought it on blu-ray it's had a new reissue hasn't yeah, it's it? been 4k remastered they're doing a lot of john carpenter films because prince of darkness comes out soon which is a film that hasn't been available for a very long time in does it look country. nice it looks really nice yeah it's still got a bit of a grainy look to it but that's like because it's literally a film where there's a killer fog mm. so if that looked too crisp i don't think it'd work properly well it'd probably clear the fog wouldn't it possibly yeah but then there's um, just nothing to be scared of, is there? If there's no fog. I thought they, I thought they did the cover nice. Yeah, the cover looks really nice. Mm. Got that sort of grindhousey look to it. Mm. Uh, but no, I, I love the fog. I think it's a very underrated horror film. It's very creepy. It's got a really good storyline behind it, which I think is where a lot of horror films suffer. That's just like, we'll just have a lot of people getting killed, or we'll have a ghost, and they, then it's just like, oh yeah, somebody fell down a well. Whereas this is just a bit more interesting. Um, that was for the podcast so I watched Murder on the Orient Express the new one with Kenneth Branagh um, oh, topical because he used to be married to Emma Thompson indeed he did Ooh. we'll get on to that oh, okay. later um, I was just put off by his moustache it's just <laughs> too big it was it was a very extravagant one it's like a moustache and half a beard it's just like it was a it was a funny looking moustache yeah, wasn't it because it was almost like two layers as well Although I did enjoy the bit where he's sleeping and he's got like that weird moustache protector and it's like literally half his face as well. I saw, um, oh, I'm really sorry, I just swallowed coffee into the microphone. Sorry about that, Dan. Um, I was in McDonald's the other day um, buying a bottle of water and some carrot sticks and the guy, <laughs> the guy serving us had like a beard net on, oh, which I'd not seen before. Um, anyway, that's that's got nothing to do with Murder uh, on the Orient Express. I like Murder on the Orient Express. So I, I thought decent. it had a fantastic cast. Oh yeah, you can't you can't mock the cast. Um, really, really good. But if you want to see, I think the definitive version of Murder on the Orient Express, I'd watch the Albert Finney one. That's just is my, it my opinion. The same? Is it just like a modern remake, or have they changed anything in the new one? No. So like, having same. seen the new one, would I know who's done it? Yeah, the story's oh yeah yeah the story's the same. 
because um, it's an adapt it's yeah. an adaptation of the book. I wasn't sure if they'd mix it up. No, 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 no. The story's the same. Um, but apparently, Agatha Christie always thought that Albert Finney was the best film version of Poirot that she saw. She's when she saw him do it, she said, "That's as close as I imagined him when I wrote him." Hmm? High praise. So there indeed. you go. Yeah. Uh, then I watched the film Terminal, <coughs> not the Tom Hanks film where he is stuck in a terminal. Have the you seen that? Yeah, obviously. Um, no, I haven't seen it. Have you not? No. It's really good. Um, no, the Margot Robbie film, which I remember seeing trailers for, I thought, oh, that looks really good. And it seemed to go straight to DVD in this country, I yeah, think. Yeah, it did. Um, it's actually really good. I really liked it. It's a sort of weird sort of people meeting and their stories intertwining. It's basically two stories both with Margot Robbie in it as well she's called Bottle Blonde and Annie depending on which version but you've got two hitmen that she encounters and then you've got Simon Pegg who's this terminally ill guy mm. and they meet she meets both sets in a cab and they're sort of one's happening three weeks before the other one and it's just really sort of tricks it's got Michael Myers in it which is his first theatrical film for seven years that he's like starred in I was trying to think I remember What's that noise? The cat. I remember um, seeing the the list of actors on the cover, and I remember there was one that I was surprised about, and it was Michael yeah, Myers. Yeah, it's quite a, yeah. a weird role for Mike Myers as well. He looks yeah because he if there's two different stories, so is he is there two different pictures of him on the cover? Uh, yes, but he's the same character in both. Okay. Him and Margot Robbie like cross the boundary. Okay. To sort of, but it's it's set in a sort of weird. I don't think it's set in the future but it's not like set anywhere that exists and they deliberately did things like there's old fashioned Russian cars The mon- they talk about it being pounds but the notes aren't pound notes they're mm. different notes it's very sort of neon-y very dark sort of Blade Runner-y sort of look to it but it's just very Margot Robbie's clearly having a lovely time just sort of overacting and chewing up the scenery and it's just very enjoyable I don't know if it would live up too much to a rewatch. Um, I'll have to borrow it because I'll be honest your explanation of it I've literally got no clue what it's about I, d- I don't want to say what it's about because I don't want to give any spoilers but Dexter Fletcher is in it as one of the hitmen mm. and he's straight out of Lockstock just giving it the cockney he's the one who calls her bottle blonde the one weird thing his partner whose name I can't remember like his hitman partner I was watching it going he looks so like Mark Strong I wonder if he's Mark Strong's son because he just had looked like Mark Strong but young with hair mm. and then when I looked it up He's Jeremy Irons' son. Oh, okay. So I don't know if Jeremy Irons' wife played away with Mark Strong and hasn't told him. But um, honestly, the absolute spit of Mark Strong. Uh, after that, I watched the film Mom and Dad, starring Nicolas Cage. Do you mean Mom and Dad? Oh, so that's what I said, didn't I? Mom. Got, oh, I thought you said Mom and Dad. Oh, no, Mom and Dad. Uh, so this was recommended... <laughs> you said Mom and Dad again. Oh, whatever. Mom and Dad. <laughs> I'm English. Uh, so this <laughs> is Nicolas Cage. It was recommended to me by Mandy, who said she saw it, and it was... a a shit but good horror like enjoyable to watch I found it really boring so it's set sorry now. who's the woman in it is it Salma Hayek no, no um, Selma, oh, Blair. Selma Blair that's, so that's they, actually who I meant they yeah. play a married couple with two children uh, she's like 15, 16 and he's 8, 9 and for whatever reason it's never explained something happens in the US and parents want to kill their children Uncontro- like like a zombie virus but they're only interested in murdering their children mm. and it starts off with just normal stuff happening then they're at school and like the parents try to knock down the gates and then she's trying to get home to get her brother obviously Nicolas Cage is 
overacting to the absolute eighth degree. He's Nicolas took, Cage overacting. Yeah. I don't believe but you. But it's just I don't know. It took a long time. It was obviously this, this big build up, and then not a lot actually happened in terms of that. Like the kids end up stuck in the basement with the door locked, and it's them trying to get into the basement. But it was just I don't know. It's, it seemed like a decent premise, but they just didn't. They sort of held back a little bit, and it's like with a silly premise like that, you've just got to go for it. Hmm. Uh, directed by half of the people that directed Crank. Directed by Neville Dean, because that was obviously Neville Dean and Taylor. Mm. Um, I mean, there's one horrible bit in a good way. Selma Blair's sister is pregnant and she gives birth and immediately tries to kill her newborn child uncontrollably. And that's Mm. a bit sort of, obviously made me feel horrible being a new dad, but that was like genuinely sort of like, ugh, in a good way for a horror film. Mm. Um, But yeah, if you like Nicolas Cage doing Nicolas Cage, you'll probably enjoy it. Shall I... um... Do you want to jump Shall in? I jump in with yeah. the one film that I've watched? Yeah. Shall I? Um, <clears throat> I went to see Night of the Demon. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's an old stuff. film from um, 1957, I think, or... It's either 1957 or 1950. Um, and it's been restored recently uh, by the BFI, I think. And I went to see it as part of um, like a horror season that they were doing at the Odyssey in St Albans. Mm. Have you been to the Odyssey? Yes, I saw Home Alone there last year. Um, this was my first time at the Odyssey. Were you upstairs or downstairs? Upstairs. Oh, it's lovely, isn't it? Um, so really, this is going to be more of um, a review of the Odyssey <laughs> rather than the film. Because I've been to the Rex in Burko many years ago. I saw Pan's Labyrinth there. But I sat downstairs on one of the tables. Um, uh, so for those, so those people that are listening that don't know, uh, the Rex in Berkhamsted and the Odyssey in St Albans are two old cinemas that have been uh, restored, um, and they've only got one screen each, and it's just a nice old school cinema experience, isn't it? But mm. quite not like the height of luxury, but much, oh, no, yeah, much fancy, much more luxurious than say going to. Um, you know, Cineworld or View or something. Um, so the one in St Albans has got a lovely little sort of like foyer area with little booths in where you can sit and have a coffee and you get your coffee in a cup rather than, you know, a takeaway thing. Um, I sat upstairs so you can have little tables downstairs where you sit like four people to a table and you have a little lamp um, on your table. It's all very nice, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but upstairs is where you've got the rows of seats and they've got sofas at the back or double seats really, aren't yeah. they? Um, but the seats are so plush and comfy and the whole thing is so lovingly done, isn't it? It's like mm. a real cinema for film lovers, so you don't get any dickheads there. Well, I um, imagine downstairs you must get a few because loads of people that I know that go on about that are like, oh, yeah, 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 you can sit up there and get like drinks and that delivered to your table. It's just like, why the fuck are you going to the cinema to drink? Um, you can't. They do offer that, but I don't know that people are going and getting hammered and being dicks I don't know about getting hammered but when people are telling you that their excitement for the cinema is because you can sit and have a drink and I think it's just it's just more of like a nice nice thing isn't it it's just people that appreciate the films and can have a drink as well I mean um, I, I, I just thought it was a really really nice cinema experience and that, because it was part of their horror season and when I went actually to the Rex in Burko the film was introduced by someone um, and they had introductions for their like horror season by uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but um, a 
professor of film from the University of Hearts. I introduced Ooh. the film, which was quite nice and gave a bit of backstory on it, a bit of a history of like the director and the film and where it was filmed and stuff. And he did point out that it was filmed like the because they filmed it at Elstree Studios and there was yeah. a few locals. There was um, Watford Junction's used in part of it because it's from the 50s. It's it is actually recognisable as Watford. Yeah, I don't know if you'd know this. Is this the film where the Luton bus was invented? The f- the movie phrase the Luton bus. I feel I like it might have been this film. But so it has. It's, it's one of the guys. The surname is Luton, but not like Luton the place. No, because there, there was a film, and it was the first time where they used a fake out jump scare. So there's a woman walking down a road. And you feel like something's following her, and then she's startled, and it's a bus pulling up, and it's no. a bus for Luton. And no, no, no. Ever since it was called the Luton bus. No, no, no. But jump. but there is um, one of the guys involved in it, or or something that the guy was talking about before the film. There is someone called Luton, but mm. the name's a bit different. L e w t o n, I think. But anyway, um, <clears throat> the Night of the Demon is about um, a guy who practices some kind of witchcraft or whatever and basically like has summoned this demon and it, it, it the premise is a little bit like you know like the ring movies where you yeah. you watch the video and you've got a certain amount of days before you die unless you get someone else to watch it or something he's got this parchment and the parchment has to be passed on to people without them knowing and then the, the demon goes after that person instead a bit like it follows as well so it? that's what he's doing he's passing this parchment along and it's i mean it, it's been very lovingly restored it looks good. It's got some nice naff effects. I mean, the demon is basically like a plastic toy, oh, which just gets bigger Harry on the screen. Kind of um, you'd absolutely love it. But the fav- my favourite bit is at the end where he's chased... Because the bit of parchment tries to destroy itself. All right. Um, and this guy is chasing a bit of parchment, which is clearly being pulled along on a piece of string. <laughs> and it's just it was just lovely. And I was just sat there thinking, the string, the string, I can see the string. But um, really, um, Night of the Demon was great. And I love going to the cinema to see old films. Um, but really, it was just for me to tell you that I'd been, I'd finally been to the Odyssey in St Albans. So if Simon's listening, thank you, Simon, because one of my old clients bought me tickets to the Odyssey, and I've only just got around to using them. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, that was my first experience at the Odyssey. I absolutely loved it. Definitely, well, I'm actually going back soon. Yeah, yeah, I've bought tickets for something already. Mm-hmm. But yeah, cool. You can carry on now with your eight million films that you've seen. I've only got a couple left. I just realised one of them I was miscounting because it's actually Emma Thompson. Oh. Uh, so the other film, and one we're saving for the second part when Lucy's here. So the last film I watched... Oh no, two films left. It was Ghost Story, which I think you've watched because I told you about it because I was in FOP in London and it just jumped at me because it was a horror film starring Fred Astaire. No, I think I've got it. I don't think I've seen it. Oh, okay. So... It's like an old-fashioned ghost story. So it starts with this young guy in his like apartment, I guess, and his girlfriend's laying face down on the bed, and he's like talking to her. And then he turns around and he's like, Who are you? What are you doing here? Why are you in my bed? And then he goes up to her, taps her, she turns around, and she's got like this horrendous, like shriveled-up face. And at this point, he stumbles backwards, falls through the window. <laughs> and then, you know obviously old school effects where clearly he's just sort of hanging on a bit of rope going ah, waving his arms and they've just put the backdrop on mm. it's like that with full frontal nudity <laughs> what his yeah his full frontal nudity Fred Astaire no not Fred Astaire oh. fucking hell uh, and then he crashes through a window a, the glass roof of something stuntman takes over who looks little to nothing like him 
hits the ground and then it then cuts to his dad and his dad's mates who are in the chowder club which is like a gentleman's club with just four people in it and his brother who is played by the same person so they're like twin I don't think they're meant this to be this is twins. so confusing yeah and it's him this is going, even worse than your description of terminal this is what it's about so he then goes <laughs> back to like bury his brother and see his dad but basically him and the all four of these men are seeing this woman and like this apparition of a woman and she's like stalking them and slowly but surely they start dying and it just sort of follows all of their experiences with this almost like the woman in black kind of thing this woman that haunts them and basically the film is finding out where this woman's come from why she's haunting these particular people but it's sort of just got like a nice old fashioned it's not like OTT with the scares it's black and white not black and white no it's all sort of practical effects it's like really shit puppets and stuff like that but in a nice way and it's just it's about yeah go on like just the storytelling it's most of it is like these guys just sat around talking about stuff but Fred Astaire's the only name I can remember but all of them are like proper classically popular actors who've been around for years and it was just like just something different obviously for Fred Astaire doesn't kick a foot in, in any sort of dance move that was that was why I had my um, hand oh. up. I was going to say, is there any dancing? No, he does not dance. Uh, he just gets very scared. Um, but no, I would f- fully recommend it. Just under two hours, which it probably didn't need to be two hours. But it's just because it's taking its time about things. It's not like there's extra stuff in it. It's just the conversations go on, but in a natural way. Mm. But I still feel like you maybe could have lost a little bit of time out of it. Uh, so then the last film to talk about now... Can I just mention something? You showing you sound about lots of puppets and stuff. Yeah. I found uh, the video clip of uh, our favourite scene from that Children of the Corn film. I'll show it to you later. Do you know how I found it on YouTube? Children of the Corn shit effect. No. <laughs> Children of the Corn blatant use of miniatures. Um, <laughs> it's beautiful. I'll show you afterwards. Right, that was a magical time. It was. Uh, so in the last film, as this part, as I said, this we saw this together yes terry i was there so i just because a lot of the time you end up going to the screenings at the same time but in steven is with your mum don't you although i doubt your mum would have been interested in overlord so i yeah. don't know she's got a varied taste don't pigeonhole her because she's a mum but i just wasn't sure she was into the world war one zombies yeah she probably wouldn't have been uh, world war two sorry apologies so yeah so it was Get your overlord, balls right. which was an unlimited screening that we went to with rich from the fan club and no, it was just us when it, Steve dropped out. Uh, so this is... It really annoys me with films like this. They're constantly going on about J.J. Abraham's new film. It's not J.J. Abraham's new film. The director is Jules Avery. J.J. Abraham's have put his name above it because he's more popular. But Guillermo del Toro, there's loads of films where it says Guillermo del Toro, but it's not actually him. Mm. And it just... It must be so annoying for that director that you put all your heart and soul in and some bloke who probably just went, yeah, yeah, that sounds good, make it. He's getting like, all the credit. Yeah, but at the same time, it's probably giving them more exposure as well. Possibly, but I don't have to go on quite so much. Um, <laughs> quite so much. Um, but I thought this film was really, really good. Um, I thought it worked better. So, obviously, I can it. So, it's set in World War II. Um, during the war, it's a group of Americans being dropped into France with a mission that they have to take down this radio tower before D-Day so that they can get get the best over the Germans and they end up in this little town next to where this radio tower is and it's like an, a church that's been taken over by the Nazis and 
strange things are afoot within this church. I thought it was a much better film as a war film, and then towards the end, when the zombies essentially arrive, I thought it lost it a little bit. I, it just seemed unnecessary. It just seemed like such a nice. You still would have had the castle with the weird things going on, but I don't think we ever needed to find out what it was. Yeah. I feel like there was more of a, oh, God, there's something going on. And when you heard things when he's going around inside, but when they actually turned up and basically they're just like really strong and then when they have that big fight, it was a bit like, this could be any film now. Um, Yeah, I, I thought it had a really good atmosphere. I thought the creepiest bit was when you could just hear that woman in another room making yeah, a noise. Exactly. And we didn't see anything. As soon as you saw her, it ruined it. Yeah, exactly. Um, the same with once we started seeing them in the castle. But I thought like the opening 15 minutes on the plane <clears throat> was fucking yeah. unreal. That plane gets taken down. I thought the characters were really good. I love the yeah. fact that there's there's no known actors in it. No. Um, I mean, Wyatt um, Russell would probably be the biggest, but he's not well known at who's, all. Who's, which one was he? He was the like the main, like the colonel dude. Oh, okay. Um yeah, I, th- I I thought it was good. Um, I thought it was enjoyable. I knew very little about it. I had seen a trailer for it. I was fairly confident. I think when I saw a trailer for it, whoever I was sat next to, I did lean across to them and said, I'm going to see this because they play Hell's Bells in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, I'm having some of that. Um, I thought it was okay. I thought it was enjoyable. And actually, I did show a trailer of it to my dad after watching it. I said, oh, I saw this crazy war film with zombie type things in it you know, I think you might yeah. like it. And we watched the trailer and actually the trailer did, does make it look really good, I think. Yeah, um, yeah I thought it was I okay. I thought the music in it in general was really good because there was some use of like, modern music and just like the score I thought was really creepy. I really like it when they use modern music in like older, you know, yeah. playing ACDC in a World War Two film, I think is yeah. awesome. No, really good to say, the opening on the plane, that was like proper horror because that's just... <clears throat> they're in the planes heading over to France and they just start getting shot at and it's just mm. all fucking hell breaks loose uh, so yeah so that ends my weekly roundup other than one that we're saving for part two to talk about with Lucy yeah because uh, Terry and Lucy went to a screening that I couldn't attend um, okay so as we said at the start of the episode we're going to talk about Emma Thompson uh, we're going to talk a little bit about her now um, before we go into like the main episode two is going to be the main episode and Lucy's going to join us for that and we're going to talk about a big chunk of Emma Thompson's um, films that we've seen and that we've enjoyed Um, but we're going to start off with some of her um, drama films that uh, Terry and I mainly Terry has seen Um, and we're just going to sort of talk about those we tried to clump the films together roughly by genre um, or theme rather than uh, going through them chronologically we just tried to uh, uh, just look at them a little bit differently but first of all we mentioned it at the start um, Emma Thompson's just been made a dame yes um, which was just perfect timing because we pulled her out of the hat I mean the Queen must have known that yeah. we'd pulled her out of the hat it wasn't the Queen um, oh no it wasn't was it, it was I think the, it was Wills uh, but I think the Queen makes the decisions oh yeah yeah but she wasn't, yeah. she wasn't uh, did they use swords for daming I, I don't know I don't know. The knighthoods did, didn't they? Twat them on the shoulders. Um, I don't think they twat them on the shoulders, <laughs> no. Um, but, um, of course, the biggest news was the fact that uh, Emma Thompson wore trainers yes. to the ceremony. And Terry, a trouser suit. Um, trouser suits are fine. Terry, would you wear trainers? I'd wear denim fucking shorts. Oh, <laughs> so I, I would, you'd, I you'd dress be dressed... up for the Queen. You'd be dressed the way you are now, then? Yes. Um, Possibly without the ketchup stain on the groin. I might, I might wear a fresh pair. Oh, God. Um, 
Lovely. So, Dame Would you Emma wear trainers to the Queen? <sighs> Probably not, no, if I'm honest. I'd wear my DMs. Would, would you pop a comb through your hair? I, I very rarely do. I don't know that I'd uh, make an exception for the Queen. No. I would just wear a hat. You couldn't see my hair. I'd wear the hat. Yeah. <laughs> the and hat. Possibly you'd pour all of the th- things out of the so, hat, like Dan did earlier when ra- he was setting up. Rather hilariously, you may, if you've been listening to our podcast since the beginning, you know that we put our subjects in a hat. The subjects are on tiny pieces of paper, which I painstakingly cut out during one episode, <laughs> much to Dan's annoyance because you could hear me cutting them. Um, earlier on today, Dan dropped off some equipment and very kindly offered to set up for us. Whilst he was doing it, we heard from the room Dan just go, oh shit, as he knocked the hat and all the subjects onto the floor. Um, mega lols for all of us. Fury for Dan. Um, right, anyway, but moving on to Emma Thompson, we're going to talk about some of her drama films. Um, first off, Terry, I'd like to start with a film that Lucy and I um, had every intention of watching, and unfortunately, we both fell into a deep, deep sleep. Um, whilst it was on. It had nothing to do with the subject of the film and just our long, long run of late nights that we'd had. Um, Alone in Berlin. Yes, so this is one of her newer films. Because the one thing I discovered when we picked up this topic, Emma Thompson doesn't do a lot of leading lady stuff. Most of her stuff is supporting Mm. a bit. So this is actually a proper leading actress, her and Brendan Gleeson. A lovely pairing. Yeah. Not when they're playing Germans. Slightly odd casting in that regard. I was just thinking... The thing is, it's like fair enough if you think that they're good actors and you want them. Mm. Just don't make them do the accent. I know. It's I off-putting. just think with the right, if they're going to play Germans, or if they want German lead characters, either cast Germans, yeah, or just let them speak with their yeah, English like accents. Yeah, like with Tom Cruise. Just let them speak with their they English accents. With normal accents. But well, anyway, accents you, you get aside, used to it. I mean, I got, I got about halfway through the film, but yeah, yeah so you you lead it because. Uh, so no, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good film. So it's set during World War Two. Hitler's taking over the world. Uh, they live in like a Nazi-occupied section of of Berlin. I'm assuming, as the film is called, Alone in Berlin. Um, and they both just. I don't know if going along. It's not. We're not really seen before whether they are pro Hitler and pro Nazis. They just seem to be sort of soldiering on, not really thinking about it. I think. But at the start of the film, they receive a letter to say that their son has died whilst fighting for the Nazi cause. And this causes a bit of a fracture for them. Emma Thompson becomes inconsolable. Mm. Brendan Gleeson is a bit more stiff upper lip, just sort of keeping himself to himself. And we're not sure what's going on. But then he's at work and he works in a factory and the Nazis are at the factory saying, we need you to like treble the amount that you're going to do. This is for the Nazis. This is for Hitler. This is for Germany. We need you to do it. And he sort of puts his hand up and is just like, well, if you want us to be the most efficient, you need to sack half the men and get in more machines. So everyone looks at him with a bit of a, why the fuck would you say that? Mm. And he's like, well, if you actually like that, and they all turn on him a little bit. Like, oh yeah, you don't donate to the Nazi party. You don't do this. And he's like, I donated my son. I've just had word that he's died. What more could I possibly give? And then from this point, him and his wife, I mean, it's an old fashioned relationship. There's not like a lot of, tenderness yeah they're just sat in rooms talking with a sort of a clear respect for each other but it's not like they're sat cuddling on a sofa and then one but night, didn't they have one there was a, there was a little bit of a smoochy end, scene yeah toward the, towards the end so then brendan gleason is sat in his study i assume and he's writing something and basically they decide he starts it his wife finds out and goes along with it they start essentially writing 
anti-Nazi propaganda on postcards and just leaving them around the city, not like posting them anywhere, just dropping them on staircases, dropping them on doorways. And it's like their way of fighting back against the Nazis. And it's, I mean, the first one is just like, Hitler killed my son, he will kill your son too. Like um, something about free press. Hmm. And basically the film then just takes on that he's writing these cards and then you've got Daniel Bruhl, who is a German policeman. He's nothing to do with the Nazi party. He's tasked with finding this person. Because um, what I like about the film is it's such a small act, but it shows that... Because they talk about in the film that it's quite a small thing and he says, like, with a machine, if it gets sand in it, at first it will just not work properly but the more and more sand you put in it it will stop the machine and the machine will break and that's like his thinking if he can just get a few people to read these cards but Daniel Brawl's character is like well they're all just getting handed to us we've had 20 cards we've had 30 cards and it becomes a sort of almost like a cat and mouse film at this point where he's trying to catch him and he becomes more and more clever about how he starts wearing gloves when he's writing them he starts mm. travelling further to drop them off um, but yeah it's just a nice little proper character piece it's just really Emma Thompson Daniel Brawl and Brendan quite understated isn't it yeah just understated so it doesn't get very grey yeah even though Emma Thompson is clearly very upset because she's part of the she goes around and sort of tries to get donations for the Nazi party and stuff and she has like this little sort of crisis of conscience and there is a moment where he sort of says to her you need to stop because if we get caught they'll hang a woman as well they don't care about these things and that's when they have like this tender moment because she's like no like we're doing this for our son we're in this together um can't really go into too much more detail without getting spoilers but yeah i just thought it was a really nice film i thought other than the weird accent thing i thought it was really good performances i think they had a great chemistry as a couple in that era because as i say not an emotional couple not an affectionate couple but there was clearly love between them what did you think of the half that you saw um yeah i thought it was all right um, but I, I can't really give a proper review because I did fall asleep. But if you know me, I'm I do fall asleep at the drop of a hat. Um, so it's no reflection on a film if I actually fall asleep during it. Um, good news if you want to watch it is on Netflix. Yes. Um, <clears throat> a few other that fell into the drama character category, which I just really want to touch on. Really, rather not really going into too much detail because I don't think she plays massive parts in them. Um, Terry, you've seen Walk in the Woods, and she plays Bill she, Bryson's wife. Does she? Yeah, she's Bill Bryson. So the film is Bill Bryson played by Robert Redford and his friend, whose name I can't remember. He's got like a one-word name, played by Nick Nolte, and his Madonna. What? That's a one-word name. Yeah, his name is not Madonna. Okay. Um and he's an older author he hasn't written anything for a while and for whatever reason he decides he's going to walk the Appalachian Trail in America which is 2,000 miles long he's a man in his 70s Emma I didn't Tom- realise Bill Bryson was that old uh, he wasn't he was in his 40s oh, okay. but Robert Redford and Nick Nolte are in their 60s, 70s oh okay um, so he decides to undertake this Emma Thompson plays his wife who's just sort of like what are you playing at you're 70 years old just get over it they've just moved back they've been living in England they've just moved back to America he's almost having like a crisis of what am I here for now? Like, I haven't written a book. What am I going to do? Um, and then it just follows... It essentially becomes like a buddy movie where they're mm. just walking along this trail. They they meet some interesting characters. They have some scrapes. And it's just, like, a really nice film. Okay. But, yeah, she's in it for approximately seven minutes. Um, what about I Am Legend? So, I Am Legend, she is in it for roughly 30 seconds. Mm. Um, she's very minor on screen, but she plays quite a pivotal role. So, I Am Legend is about... 
a post-apocalyptic world where a disease has spread through the earth, killing everyone. Well, not killing, turning them into. I mean, in this film, vampire zombies. Yeah, they're like rabid vampire zombies that can't really communicate, and the only person left is Will Smith's uh, Oliver Neville. Is it Oliver Neville? Definitely Neville, um, who is trying to survive with his dog Sam, and trying to find a cure because he was a scientist. So Emma Thompson plays Doctor Alice Crippen. Alice Crippen, and she is the reason for the disease. Okay. So she is a doctor working on a cure for cancer, and it mutates and becomes this disease that wipes out the entire human race. So it's a small part, but quite a. And she's uncredited. Yeah, it's literally um, she's being interviewed on the TV in the background. Oh. So she's not even like properly on screen. I see. I see. Um, but I really, really like this film. Um, it's my favourite book that doesn't have pictures in it I love the book yeah I know you love the book I think um, because I've always thought that I've seen I Am Legend I think I've seen the other versions so there's three versions yeah I'm pretty sure I've seen the other two I haven't seen I Am Legend so there's The Last Man on Earth starring Vincent Price which is a black which is the most faithful to the book then there's a 70s one with Charlton Heston called I Am Omega which is nothing like the book Mm -hmm. in any way shape or form they become like a cult they're not like zombies um, and then you've got this one which is a massive deal issue because in the book they can talk they try and tempt him out of his house they know where he lives but they just like vampires they can't cross over garlic they can't see themselves in mirrors so there's a bit more around that whereas this is more of an action set up for the film um, the, the annoying thing is they keep the original ending to the book because the ending to the book is like the reason for the title and is an um, epic ending but it doesn't fit with all the other changes they made in the mm. film. And it's it's literally like they've just thrown it in because they had to, because they used the title from the book. Yeah. Um, there's actually an alternate ending on the DVD I've got, which is much better and completely different. So essentially, the only thing it shares in common with the book is the name and the name of the character. But I really like it as a film. There's some horrendous, and an- not horrendous animal acting, horrendous scenes with a man acting with an animal that will break your heart. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to watch it. Um, but let's not go too much into I Am Legend because we are talking about Emma Thompson, let's yeah. not forget. Yeah, um, so small part, but crucial to the plot. Just um, a couple more. That, uh, one I want to touch on and one that I'm just going to go into in a little bit more detail um, that kind of comes under the drama category. And another one I'm going to mention because it's easy for you to watch if you want to is Primary Colours, which is on iPlayer at the moment. Oh, is it? I wanted to watch that, but it wasn't on yeah. Netflix. I can get it from Kex. But... I only got to see half of it, but I thought it was quite interesting in the sense... Well, first of all, she does an American accent, which I don't like, but she plays a, like a governor's wife or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so John Travolta's the... When you um, say you don't like her accent, do you mean it's a shit accent or you just don't like her being American? I, d- I don't like her doing accents. I, one of my... Probably my favourite thing about Emma Thompson is her voice. Yeah. So when she's not, when she's not very British, I don't like it. Um, but it's not really a shit accent it's just a nothing accent but um, so she plays this governor's wife but what was interesting and, it, uh, and I have found it interesting so far I just literally just run out of time mm. to watch it during she, she'd just gone through or was going through her divorce from Kenneth Branagh at the time yeah. and during the filming of this Donald Trump phoned oh, her yeah, up yeah. Donald Trump phoned her up and offered for her to stay at Trump Towers, which I believe she declined. But ironically, when she was filming this film, she based her character on Hillary Clinton. And then obviously, as um, 
history has shown us Hillary and uh, Trump went up against each other um, so that was just like an interesting little aside which I, I just uh, read earlier on today actually um, but I will go back and watch the rest of the film it did look quite good and um, well, that, is, that is good news that it's on our player I'll definitely go back and watch <clears> yeah um, and I think it's available for a while so that's uh, worth a look but the last one I want to talk about um, um, that we're going to class as a drama and we wanted to or I want to talk about because um I believe she won a Best Actress Oscar for this. It's Howard's End. She did. Uh, where she plays Margaret uh, Schlegel. Schlegel. Schlanger. Schlanger. Um, Schlegel. Um, and Howard's End is um, a story really about... Um, do you want to say maybe three different classes? You've got like, the, fam- yeah. the family that are very well-to-do and money is everything to them. And then you've got... Um, uh, Margaret Schlegel and her sister whose name escapes me played by Helena Bonham Carter Funny, and they're kind of it? like I can't remember but they're kind of like in the middle they've they've got some money but yeah. they're a bit more they're not they're caring they're not ruled by money yeah, yeah they give a shit about people and then they befriend this guy who Leonard is Bass. poor by comparison but just as a side before you get mm. stuck in did you think he was the same person because obviously the film starts with Helena Bonham Carter thinking she's engaged to a guy and then cuts to her at a music concert. I thought she was with the guy that she was meant to be married because they look very alike. Uh, no, I didn't get anyone confused. <clears throat> um, but it's essentially, um, Emma Thompson's character uh, befriends this lady who, um, on her deathbed, leaves her house, Howard's End, to Emma, Emma Thompson. Um, and this lady's husband, Anthony Hopkins, sees this handwritten note that his wife's written and with in him and his children uh, grown up children sit there and and decide that um the wife and their mother must have been not of sound mind and yeah. probably you know they were just like no she can't coerced. she can't have meant to have left the it house was in pencil it wasn't yeah. signed oh you know, she obviously didn't mean this and we're not allowing this woman to have the house so anthony hopkins decides to go against his wife's wishes and not leave howard's end or not tell Emma Thompson that Howard's end's been left to her, even though her and her sister actually need somewhere to live. But anyway, the story goes on. It just follows these people's lives, really. And they do lead privileged lives. It does go. It does go quite. There are some big time jumps, but essentially, what ends up happening is Emma Thompson's character ends up marrying Anthony Hopkins, and right towards the end of the film, um, he actually says that if he's to die he's going to leave Howard's end to Emma Thompson and then one of the grown up children comments oh mother got her wish in the yeah. end anyway and Emma Thompson hears it doesn't she what, does, what yeah. did she mean oh well my wife did actually leave Howard's end to you um, and I really I really enjoyed this one. I, I love these kinds of films anyway I really enjoyed it when I started watching it I thought that the Helena Bonham Carter character was going to be like the main character yeah. but then she, she's She's, she's not. very minimal, yeah. Yeah, well, she, yeah, she's not very very minimal. She's just, it's it's just such a, so much happens, but it's such an easy film to watch. And I really enjoyed the story and I liked the pairing. I thought Anthony Hopkins, Hopkins' character was an arsehole, which exactly I liked, what it was meant to which be, I yeah. liked, yeah. Um, um, Emma Thompson's character was incredibly likeable in comparison, but they end up, you know, reasonably happily married. They do have a falling out, don't they? Well, 
I think it almost was on purpose because literally like, oh, do you want to come around my house? Like you can have it while I move out of it for a while. I bought you under false pretenses. Will you marry me? Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> that, obviously obviously some time had passed and it was things were different in those days, yeah. weren't they? Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's just basically just a story about life, really, isn't it? Yeah. For these people, these very privileged people and these slightly poorer people and how the three sets of people really... Um, how their lives kind of run alongside each other yeah. kind of thing. Um and ultimately how Emma Thompson ends up with Howard's end in yeah. the end anyway, which is what her friend wanted for her anyway. Um, so all's well that ends well. Yeah. Um, and on that note, um, Terry, I think we're going to draw this to a close. Unless you've got any other drama films, I didn't really consider that any of the others really fell under the drama category. I've not really thought about them in categories, so I'll go with your thinking. Okay, thanks very much. So I have made some comprehensive notes here. Um, for a change. Yeah, well, I normally do them on my phone. Oh, okay, fair I do right. make notes on my phone, um, but I'm, I remember them better, which is how I remember the name of her character in um, I Am Legend. Yeah. Little peek behind the curtains for everyone here. If I write something down, I'm more likely to remember it, which is why I have a paper diary and a calendar, so I remember all my social events. Um, anyway, nobody needs to know about that. Um, Just as well, while we're talking about <coughs> Howard and Helena Bonham Carter, we're going to mention that she is the reason that her and Kenneth Branagh got divorced. No, let's cover that now, because I did not know that. You didn't know that? No. So she was married to Kenneth Branagh, and then Kenneth Branagh went off to make uh, Mary Sherry's Frankenstein mm. and had an affair with Helena Bonham Carter. Motherfuckers. Yeah. I'm going to get my copy of uh, Murder on the Orient Express. I'm going to chuck it in the fucking Apparently seat. they were in a bad place for a while, but they're, they're like on friendly terms now. She's, Who is? She's re- um, Emma Thompson and Kenneth Branagh. What about oh, Emma now. and Helena? Well, they worked on the Potter films, didn't they? Or should we call them Hemela? Yes. But they did, it wasn't just like an affair. They had an affair, they split up, and then he was like in a relationship with her for quite a while. Um, but yeah, that's that's why she got divorced from Kenneth Branagh, because he cheated on her with Helena Bonham Carter. It's just another example of all men are pricks. Yeah, even um, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're going to round up episode one with our um, little um, uh, little roundup of drama films here. Uh, we're going to take a small break and we're going to come back and Lucy's going to join us and we're going to look at some we're going to look at some love films, some comedy films, some kids films, and some other films, all starring Dame Emma Thompson. You look like you're going to tell you something. I was just saying, I'm just going to bring it back to drama because one of my facts slash stats, which would be both about drama films, so she's one of ten actors slash actresses to be nominated in Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress yes. in the same year. Yes. Uh, Are you going to tell us what the films were? Yes. Good. So it was in 1994, so it was Best Actress for The Remains of the Day. Yeah, also with Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, supporting Actress in the Name of the Father with Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm, I wanted to get either, that. Unfortunately. I've seen it, it's very, very good. Mm. Again, she's not in it that much, it's very much yeah. Daniel's film. I like um, him though. Yeah, I genuinely thought that the remains of the day and how Ed were somehow connected because their covers are very similar as well. Yeah. And did you know? Um, you know, she's won two Oscars. Yep. That they were both presented to her by Anthony Hopkins. Yes, I saw that as well. That's a nice little fact, wasn't it? Yeah. And then there's one last fact. I don't know when this would come up, so I'll just say now as we're sort of rambling a little bit. Uh, she was initially cast in the lead in Basic Instinct. I read that. 
Uh, did you see the quote that she said about it? Yeah, then? you can repeat it if you want. So she later ended up refusing, I think, potentially about the nudity. And she was quoted as, as far as I can see, Sharon's, from Sharon's love scene in Basic Instinct, they moulded her body out of tough plaster scene. She was shagging Michael Douglas like a donkey and not an inch moved. If that had been me, there would have been things flying around hitting me in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I like that. Shagging Just, him like a donkey, I thought yeah. oh, thought was quite nice. Um Lovely. Right, are we all done with uh, the first part of Emma? Um, Let's do our social media stuff then for people to get in touch with us. So we are Theatrical Cut Pod on Instagram and then I am Prefax and Sonia is Mallory underscore watches. On the Instagram. That's really the best way to get in touch with us unless you want to send us an email, Terry. Which is theatricalcut at gmail.com. We do like receiving the emails. It's very easy for us to collate um, information that way. Um, but we do like sharing stuff on the Instagram as well. We don't really bother with the... We've I both got rid of Twitter, I think. Um, I don't even really look at Twitter in general, let alone the... Yeah. One. Um, but yeah, get in touch with us on those platforms. Um, the Mother Pod, uh, just very quickly, if you want to listen to their latest episode, they're, they're doing a quiz in their latest episode. Um, and the only part of it that I've listened to is games questions. And frankly... I didn't have a clue what they were talking about. They might as well have been speaking in another language. Um, but they do uh, pay tribute to Stanley, who obviously passed away earlier this week. Excelsior. Um, so, yeah, if you want to give them a little listen, their latest episode is up as well. They're on the social media. They're on Instagram as TMTOOH and on Twitter yeah. as 2MTOOH. Um, and also if you look on our Instagram page um, you'll see that there's a link in our bio Dan from the Mother Pod very kindly created a fictional bands playlist on Spotify for us everything we spoke about in the last pod in one place and a few extras as well Um, it's really really good Um, I listened to it on the way to work it's decent lovely sweet so that's all for now Terry yeah I'm off to get some biscuits Mike drop (laughs) 